Hello, my name is Adam Eason. Welcome to episode 82 of Hypnosis Weekly. friends and a very warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again, in my own highly biased opinion, I think I have a superhero of a show lined up for you to do. And you understand why I'm talking about this show being a superhero version. Uh, You'll understand when we get underway with uh, the main crux, the central core of today's show. So today you get none of the usual blurb on the podcast, no spiel, no regular features. Today is in fact the second in our Heroes of Hypnosis series within the podcast that I shall be adding to sporadically from time to time and simply surprising you with. Um, Our previous Heroes of Hypnosis edition was episode 78 where I myself talked uh, about and, and all around the subject of Emil Kue. Um, him, his life, his work in some depth and detail. Um, so today I'm joined by Lindsay Shepherd, a former guest of the show, um, a fellow hypnotherapist and a really good friend of mine who's been a class assistant and co-tutor with my college for a number of years now. Most of all though, she's a very good friend of mine. Um, she's going to be talking about her hero of hypnosis and that is the great man Clark L. Hull. I'm not going to give any further introduction to either uh, Clark Hull or Lindsay. If you want to learn more about Lindsay, go visit her website, www.lindsayshepherdhypnotherapy.co.uk. There's a link over at this week's episode, uh, page of the Hypnosis Weekly website, which is www.hypnosis-weekly.com. Or go and have a listen to um, episode 14 of this podcast when Lindsay was my guest um, here back, way back now in 2014. Uh, when everything cost 1p and was made of wood, you know. Um, so we'll crack on with the show. Okay, for now, get comfy, my friends. Turn up the volume. Sip on your tea. Enjoy this week's special edition, Heroes of Hypnosis, all about Clark L. Hull with my guest, Lindsay Shepherd. Enjoy. <music> So, as I've just been discussing, I'm delighted to welcome back to Hypnosis Weekly the one and only Lindsay Shepherd. Lindsay, welcome back to Hypnosis Weekly. Thank you, Adam. Thanks for asking me again. Um, so, you know, th- this is this is a, a different version. It's only the second um, um, Heroes of Hypnosis um, edition. We're going to be talking about Clark Hall. I- I'm really excited about this. First of all, you-, you know, tell us tell us something about Clark Hall. Tell us about him. Tell us about some of the ba- some of his background. First of all, well, firstly, um, I-, I was attracted to Clark Hall initially because he sounds like he should be a superhero, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, he really does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and looks a little bit like it, actually, if you yeah, look at photos. Yeah. <laughs> um, Clark Leonard Hull, but he called himself Clark L. Hull. Yeah. Uh, he was born in 1884, and he died in 1952, so reasonably modern. Yeah. Um, he was born in New York, um, but was raised on a farm in, in rural Michigan. And by the sound of it, his family actually struggled quite a lot with fi- their finances. Yeah. Um, he was a rather sickly child, and therefore his education was, was rather um, interrupted by his illness. Um, and to supplement the family income, he actually taught at the school that he was being taught at himself. Really? 
Yeah, which is, I can't quite work yeah. out how it happened. Wow. It's strange, isn't it? Um, he contracted typhoid, which took him out of education for a year. And then when he was 24, he contracted polio, which was quite common then, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and became permanently paralysed in his left leg. Left leg? <laughs> left leg. <laughs> um, I'll say that again. He contracted polio and he was paralysed in his left leg, which left him with a leg brace and he walked with a cane. Um, he'd originally planned to study engineering, but because of his health, he didn't feel that he could do that. Yeah. So his interests turned towards psychology. Um, but his, his poor health and the financial struggles of his family, it meant that his education was constantly interrupted. So he didn't have sort of that classic way of through college or university. So it took him a little longer than, than probably most people. Um, but he eventually got his bachelor's degree, his master's degree from the University of Michigan, and he was awarded a PhD in 1918 from um, University of Wisconsin. Um, and he taught there for a while. He was obviously quite keen on teaching or, or very early. But his main interest was human behavior, um, a behavioralist. Mm. Um, and he began researching the measurement and prediction of aptitude. Oh, really? Published his first book in 1928. So quite quite soon after he, he'd become um, a PhD. Yeah. Another interest was, um, which would eventually become his, his real um, interest, is he had a something called his drive theory of behaviour, mm. uh, which he took from ideas of Charles Darwin and Pavlov, and he believed that all behaviour could be explained by conditioning principles. Right. Very, very, very Pavlov. Yeah, yeah. Um, and according to Hull's drive reduction theory, biological deprivation creates needs, and those needs activate drives and then motivate behaviour. So mm. the resulting behaviour is goal-directed, since achieving these goals aids in the survival of the organism. That's that's us, creatures. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very very um, flowery language, the way he speaks. Yeah. Um, and from Darwin's influence, um, Hull believed that the evolutionary process impacted on these drives resulting in our behaviours. Um, and, and really, it's very like of needs. Yeah. Basically, basic needs such as hunger and thirst um, seek out satisfaction by eating and drinking. Yeah. But of course, he was much earlier than Maslow. Um, I can't actually find any credit for Hull in Maslow's work, but you know, it's it's probably quite. It, well, it's, it's normal, of course. If you're thirsty or hungry, you're going to find something to eat, aren't you? Yeah. But. He's very interested in what we would probably call motivation studies today. Um, all the things we do as hypnotists, really. So in 1929, um, Hull moved to Yale University and he stayed there for the rest of his career. Yeah. And he became interested in hypnosis and suggestibility while lecturing to medical students, which is quite interesting. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things, um, a quote from him, the innumerable opportunities which the dilapidated state of the subject offered for the application of modern experimental procedures proved a temptation too great to be resisted. Which is really nice, isn't it? Yeah. Although, uh, how he describes the dilapidated state of the subject. To describe <laughs> <laughs> I should be thinking of that all my time. Dilapidated, now. yes. In a dilapidated state. <laughs> um, and Hull was actually one of the first psychologists to, to empirically study hypnosis. Um, he was he was naturally good at maths, and he was quite keen to put psychology theory into maths formula. 
Um, and if you look at his book, which I'm sure you have, um, it, it actually does have um, reprints, pictures of, of his formula. Yeah. I wouldn't understand a thing. I really wouldn't know what they meant. It's just numbers as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, a lot of stats. My um, um, my own my own edition has um, um, sort of like there's some black and white drawings of what looked like chalkboard drawings. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. With with the sort of um, <coughs> A and B at the bottom, and then you know, uh, like a sort of wobbly graph and type yes. stuff. Yeah. 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 It's fascinating. Sorts of contraptions. You know, for arm catalepsy, he had like leather straps to keep the arm up, and yeah, and real, real Heath Robinson. <coughs> you almost expect Frankenstein to come out of the corner. Really. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's and there's the sort of clamps and um, and weights beside yeah. it and things like that, well, aren't there? Yeah, really, very, yeah. very interesting. Yeah, the, the people he used in the experiments, which which most of them I think must have been his students. Yeah. Again, he describes them, and of course, this is the language of the time. We wouldn't use language like this now. Yeah. Um, he describes them as normal, not pathological. The yeah. ends sought were principles and relationships, not treatment or cure. <laughs> they, they were normal. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Which is handy. Yeah. yeah. So he, he actually spent probably the next 10 years or so with these experiments. Um, and he was a major research program. And he published, and I'm, I'm not actually quite sure how many separate reports, Um I think it was 32, certainly over 30. Wow. But, He's uh, prolific, wasn't he? He was very prolific. And that's yeah. in 10 years. That's that's pretty impressive, isn't yeah. it? And he brought all of that together with what I consider pretty much the seminal work on, on this, on, on hypnosis. Um, in 1933, with his book, Hypnosis and Suggestibility and Experimental yeah. Approach. Yeah. And I love it. It's, it's yeah, just, yeah, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. It's absolutely it, it, brilliant. Everyone should, every hypnotist should have this book. I, I really believe it. It's, it's, yes. It is still really relevant, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, um, um, it's got it's got hardback reprints with, um, uh, you know, uh, new introductions, up-to-date yes. introductions. Um, and, and I think Crown House have published it, haven't they? Yes, they um, have. Yeah. And a new introduction by Michael Yapko even in the in the new edition. So anybody can get it and it's still fairly affordable. Um, it's not expensive, is it? No. Yeah. Because some textbooks are ridiculous price, aren't yeah. they? This is this is worth it, however, however much it yeah, costs. Yeah, I think so. Um, and he, I love his dedication, his plate dedication. He dedicates the book to all his associates in research, which again have some wonderful names. Yeah. And his dedication in remembrance of our united efforts to establish hypnotism on a secure experimental basis. Yeah. That's wonderful, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I love that. It I love really, that. Um, and the book is is really. It's it's full of history of hypnosis as well, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. In the um, the one that I found really interesting is um, Ernest Hilgard wrote the foreword for the 1952 edition, oh, right. which would have been um, presumably reprinted on when Clark Hull died. Yes, which was 1952. Um, and I'll, I'll read some of, of what he wrote because I find it really interesting. Um, he says Professor Clark L. Hull was an ardent behaviourist, but an unusual one. Instead of closing his eyes to phenomena that might seem to others to be the very epitome of the subjective, whether the trance state within hypnosis or matters such as foresight and purpose, he set out to show that he could treat them by his objective methods. Mm. It was an important event in the chequered story of hypnosis when this book, so methodolo methodologically sound, 
so full of experimental data, made his appearance. Hypnosis has always been a bit on the fringe, known too often as entertainment or exploited by those who wish to demonstrate some mysterious or uncanny functioning of the human mind. And here at last was a matter of a fact, laboratory investigation. After more than 30 years, Hull's finding held up really very well. And it's good to have his book widely available in accessible form, because that's now 84 years. Yeah. Um, although devoted largely to the experiments of his own and his students and collaborators, these investigations are placed in the context of history and the historical material is painstaking and accurate, which it is, it's, and it's really interesting. Yeah. Hull's own biases did not lead him to mistake his own fancies for data. It's a lovely turn of phrase, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and all experiments are beautifully and be, are beautiful illustrations of the experimental design and objectivity of interpretation. Ever since the days of Mesmer, hypnosis has had a rough and undulating history of exception, acceptance and rejection. There are signs now of greater acceptance. Uh, this is 1952, speaking yeah. of. Such as recommendations by both American and British medical associations that hypnosis be taught in medical schools and the establishment with the blessing of the American Psychological Association of an American Board of Examiners in Psychological Hypnosis, issuing certificates in both experimental and clinical hypnosis. Those who are today finding it easier to do investigatory work in the field without being, constrict, being considered far out. So uses the expression yeah. far out. Almost imagine yeah. being saying that. <laughs> <laughs> far out, man. Yeah. <laughs> to use hypnosis in their therapeutic work without being ostracized owes some of this acceptance to Clark L. Hull and his collaborators for having carried out the work reported in this book. Hull, in the conclusion to the book, and this is really this is almost the last page of the book, yeah. notice some of the difficulties. Too many works on the subject in the past have fallen short of the scientific ideal. Doubtless many things have contributed to this weakness, but surely a major factor must be the inherent difficulty of the problems involved the fundamental elusiveness of the phenomena and the consequent subtlety necessary in experiment controls. These difficulties are so great that to enter seriously on a programme of investigation in this field is a little like tempting fate. It's almost certain to court disaster. Small wonder that orthodox scientists have usually avoided the subject. Then he puts a little exclamation mark in that. Yeah. Yet each generation may be expected in the future, as in the past, to produce a few rash souls who will not only risk the danger of making scientific errors, but will also have the courage to brave the semi-superstitious fears of the general public and the uneasy suspicions of their orthodox scientific brethren. It is to them that this present work is addressed to. It's really good, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah spot on. Um, um, I love that. Thinking, wasn't he? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, Obviously, there, there, there is one more paragraph after that, which, which I'll, I'll come to later. Mm. But as, as you know, um, his writing's really quite charming as well. Yeah. The politeness comes through. Yeah. So he doesn't say things are wrong, someone is wrong. He just gets on with presenting the data. Yeah. And this is what we found, and this is what they found. So there was none of this sort of nonsense. I'd love to have seen him on... Um, a hypnosis forum now wouldn't you yeah yeah exactly exactly i would i, I would too you know the the the, the I, I love the notion there of the objectivity of the interpretation of results um mm. i'm showing you know he, he had no real no real agenda 
he just wanted to to, to understand hypnosis and suggestibility um, and I think yeah. that came across comes across in his work and, and, and a lot of his research it really is these are the facts isn't it yeah it's yeah. just fascinating and he writes um, uh, I'll, I'll quote this he writes of his joys in the pursuits and in the occasional thrill of success yeah 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 love that yeah, it's, love it's that. not it's not always successful what he's setting out to do, isn't no, it? No, no. Um, he was actually known as an exceedingly critical thinker. Right. Um, and he was um, intolerant of any lack of rigour um, right. from, from anyone. Yeah. So he sounds he, he could have been a bit of com a curmudgeon by all accounts. <laughs> um, but um, there's a great quote I found. Even when he was a graduate student, yeah. um, he found um, he was complaining about the lack of clarity and content in the lectures delivered by some of his professors. So all the time he was he was saying, you know, this is right. This is a great quote. I love this. I found Professor Jay a kindly person to serve under, but I learned little from the years of association with him. His mind could scintillate in a brilliant fashion, but his approach to psychology was largely qualitative and literary. He had remarkable linguistic fluence. He could sometimes lecture for five minutes at a time in perfectly good sentences, yet hardly saying a thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. Isn't I've encountered it? a few people like that. Yeah, I have too. Yeah. <laughs> Talks a lot but says nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. even then he was. I mean, it's wonderful that all the time he was thinking that. Yeah. Um, but if um, if if he, his own students um, lapsed from their rigorous thinking, their critical thinking, um, apparently they provoked profanity from uh, Professor Hull. Ah, <laughs> he was he was a, a secret potty mouth as well. I never oh, would have I never would have expected that or known that. Done. He's come down in my estimation, really. Or oh, no, he's actually gone up in my estimation. <laughs> Um, he was better described as cussing, and um, apparently he would wave his cane in the direction of the offender as well. Uh, so I have this real vision of him in his three-piece suit, quite heavy suit, maybe with a fob watch, and waving his cane at yeah. someone who dared questions. <laughs> yeah. so I'm hoping next time you're doing your next diploma course or CPD, Adam, that you'll have a cane that you'll yeah. wave at people. I'll wave at I'll wave at my students. Um, um, so so I'm, I'm, I feel like we're really getting to know him. Mm. Um, 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 tell me a little bit about about some of his contribution then um, um, about uh, about some of the the, the, the the kind of major contribution that, that he's made and and, and as to, to why why anybody would consider him important. I think one of, one of the first things about him is he he influenced a lot of other psychologists because he was one of the first people that actually really took that scientific view that. Yeah unbiased scientific view um, and he does actually say that he found hostile examinations more helpful than the friendly ones mm. so people who questioned him he found much more interesting which is was an interesting point isn't it yeah um and he he was actually the most frequently cited psych, um, psychologist um in the 1940s and 50s right. which was prior to the more cognitive revolution yeah where things became that way um and his theories sort of fell into not so much disuse, but sort of were overtaken by yeah. things. Yeah. Um, so the, the specifics of his theory have fallen out of favour, but his emphasis on the experimental methods pretty much set the standards yeah. for future researchers. Yeah, definitely. Um, which is, is weird. 
important. Yeah. Um, and of course, um, one of the other things he did is um, he was the person that influenced Ericsson. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I think um, Ericsson was in a lecture of uh, Hulls, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Um, and he became really interested in, in Hulls, um, demo subjects. And he actually then spent time hypnotising Hulls research subjects. I don't know quite how he did that. Mm. Sneakily got hold of them. Yeah. <laughs> and then Ericsson started to, to disagree with, with Hull. Yeah. Because, it, well, as we know, Ericsson's is, he feels that each person is unique. Um, and you utilise that uniqueness, whereas Hull felt that the the operator, the hypnotist, was the most important person in the relationship. Mm. So you could that that was his where they where they differed. So we could say, and if you pardon the pun here, yeah. that Hull both directly and indirectly um, influenced Ericsson. <laughs> Sorry about that. I can't resist. <laughs> yeah. So I, mean, I think that's a really interesting thing. How Someone who, like Ericsson, who's so big in the, in the field of hypnosis, um, whatever your stance, you would know about him, um, was so influenced by, by Hull. Um, and Hull didn't mind at all that Ericsson had taken a different stance. Yeah. Which shows, I think that's a, that's a good thing to show. Yeah, me. I think that's a good testament to his attitude. Absolutely, absolutely. He really enjoyed the fact that people were, were doing this. Mm. Um, and, and he's um, most often quoted, um, uh, Hull's often quoted, when what, whatever assumes hypnosis is hypnosis. Yeah. Which is something that really influenced me. Yeah. Um, one of the things that made me quite um, chuckle was in, I think it's one, one of the early pages, Hull says people who have learned and practiced the art of hypnotic work, so hypnotists, are not apt themselves to go into a trance, which I would really disagree with that. Mm. Because um, you know, I find myself going into hypnosis really easily when I'm hypnotising other people. Mm. So it's, mm. it's quite funny, isn't it? Um, and he doesn't seem to credit his subjects with much intelligence. He always calls them naive and unsuspicious. So I'm, I'm quite sure what to think of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I liked how um, he treated psychology as a science. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably the most key thing that he's done, that this, you can do this. And even if it's to do with the mind, you can work out, you can measure things. They can be done in certain ways. Yeah. Um, which is what so you're doing with your PhD as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, and and one of the you know you you mentioned the the notion of um um what his notion of whatever um assumes hypnosis creates hypnosis, and I I just think that that is attached to so many important facets of hypnosis. This idea of you know expectation, um, um and and framing of the experience, and you know people's understanding of it. Um, and and their, their their degree of education about what to expect and 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 how to have the experience of hypnosis is 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 all tied up very much in that in that neat sentence um um and and I think that's one of the reasons that I've always been so fond of him um was 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 for that in fact yes yeah and actually it's almost contrary with his views that the the operator is the one in charge yeah. Yeah, um, it, it it sort of doesn't quite sit exactly right with me that he he says that. Um, 
but I, I, I think it shows that it's, it's collaborative, exactly. And whatever, yeah. whatever you want it to be, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, yeah. It is. Um, and he, he does influence my work a lot because of that. Yeah. Um, because of that sentence. Um, and also um, how he talks about hypnosis as a habit that you, it's a, you become habituated to using hypnosis. Yeah. And I, I think that's really important. It's almost like hypnosis is a habit phenomenon, if, yeah. if you want to call it that. Um, because the way I work is that it is a very collaborative process. But I ask my clients to to practice self-hypnosis at home, um, to use other um, what we call waking suggestions, so not in hypnosis, always using the suggestion, changing your language, um, becoming habituated to behaving in that way that you're striving to, to be, to become, mm. um, using that as a habit. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, um, there's something within, within the notion of hypnosis being a habit um, 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 that that really resonates well with me again, and and the sort of sort of, the, the sort of stance with regards to my own favoured socio-cognitive perspective of hypnosis that is much more akin to you know treating hypnosis like it is a skill that can be yes. developed and that can be practiced yeah. and so on. And, and and I tend to think that the notion of a habit is very similar and has has real parallels with this notion of hypnosis being a skill. Um, yes. That can be developed and 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 so on. Yeah, it's it's a life skill, isn't it? I mean, you you would talk about a yoga practitioner, wouldn't you? That yeah, you, absolutely. You do daily yoga practice. So so why not do that daily hypnosis practice? Yeah. It, it's just something. I mean, you and I and, and a lot of our colleagues listening to this would do would do that. But it's yeah. not really considered something. Oh, well, you just go and get zapped and then you're fine. But no, it's yes. it's much more than that, isn't yeah. it? It yeah. really is. It's yeah. a Habits and practice facilitates performance yeah. in, in everything that we do. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. That's probably one of the, the most important things for me. And I, I, again, of course, I like his rigor. Yeah. Um, and very much, um, even though he does say the operator is the one in charge, yeah. if people expect to be hypnotized, they will be. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah, they yeah. Will be. yeah, absolutely. We, absolutely. We all you know, if if you get someone who's been referred to you by someone that you have worked with successfully, then it's easy to work with the second person, isn't it? Because they have that huge expectation. Yeah, it, it's there. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to yeah, come right. there, and I'm going to be hypnotised. Yes, yeah. you are. <laughs> so, yeah. so that's really how he he influences me, and it, it's it's not a huge way, um, but teaching self hypnosis and learning that habit, becoming that life skill. Is, is really a very fundamental part of my work. So that's the important thing for me. Well, the fact that it's it's a fundamental part of your work and that his, you know, the, the main body of his work was, you know, 85 years ago um, mm. is, 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 is some legacy, isn't it? And, yeah. you know, let, let, let's, let's talk a little bit about the kind of legacy that has been left um, 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 by him and the, the, the kind of impact that he's made upon the field and still continues you know the fact that his book is so relevant today the fact Absolutely. that the fact that we're even discussing him here today and the fact that we're discussing you know just just one single sentence you know yep. I, I mean because we could let's be honest we could pick, pick so else. much from from his his in-depth and rigorous studies but it's um, an easy read, isn't it it's not one of those difficult reads no it's, it's 
it's an easy to read book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, sometimes I've got to put some of his charts and tables up in three different directions to fully understand what they mean. I, um, I'm not. I'll never understand them. Yeah, yeah. Stats is yeah. is not not wholly my thing either. But you know, um, um, the um, um, yeah, you're quite right. The rest of the book, you know, his written stuff is is great. Um, uh, you know, it, it communicates beautifully, consider, especially considering, you know, it's attempting to put hypnosis and suggestibility in a scientific framework, mm. um, um, which is which is, you know, quite, quite unusual still today. It really is. And, you know, his legacy is that that it's, it's an absolute seminal work. Um, Ericsson, obviously, I think is, is a bit of a legacy, really. But yeah. his critical thinking and, and his love of critical argument um yeah. which we could all take a lesson from i, yeah. I think and his, his lifelong emphasis on the development of those objective methods yeah. Yeah. um and it, it's just important it really is yeah and if, if you um look at the conclude the, the conclusion um i read earlier a little bit of the conclusion of the book but um this is the the final paragraph We've done our best to see the problems with a fresh eye, to avoid the omnipresent pitfalls, to devise really adequate experimental controls and to be docile in the face of facts, yeah. which is lovely, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> really. To be docile in it. Yeah. The history of the work teaches us to have no illusions in regard to the success of such efforts. No worker can wholly escape the ideology of his time, which is, again, really important. Yeah. Many of the things gravely put down as securely established will be rejected within reason by investigators of the future, just as we found reason to reject more or less of what may workers have regarded as certain. Mm. This is inevitable and proper, for science is to a certain extent a trial and error process. Mm. And it really is. And um, I've, I really do find Hull interesting. And I found some um, scraps of, of notebook diaries um, and he actually, in, in the privacy of his own notebooks, he felt that his book was a good one. He, he really felt he'd done a good job on this one. And after expressing some concern that he might have become stigmatised for working on hypnosis, um, I think this is really sort of rounds it off. He, he wrote in his diary, I believe, however, that the book itself has been worth doing from the point of view of the achievement of science. I believe that it's an important contribution that it may mark a new epoch in that form of experimentation, and it will be read and quoted for a long time, possibly a hundred years. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Lovely, lovely. And, yeah, yeah, and and you know, a, a little bit prophetic there, in fact, um, because yeah, yeah, you know, right on. Here we are, eighty-five years um, yeah. later. You know, d d discussing it and just talking about its relevance. Wouldn't it be interesting? I wonder what he would say if he were here now, and and would he be happy with how things have progressed? Well, you know, um, um, in, in some quarters, I think he'd be very happy with with the way in which things are pro uh, are, are, are are progressing in in a sort of experimental way. In some quarters, however, I think he would potentially be, and I'm probably going to upset lots of my regular listeners now. I think he would probably be slightly upset with the way in which. The, the the field of frontline um, hypnotherapy conducts itself in 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 a lot of the populist ways. I, I agree. Um, I I really do think that he would enjoy the the way that some people work, I and mean, he'd be absolutely fascinated. I'm sure. But yeah, frontline it's not really moving on as it should, is it? Or as it could, as it could move on. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I believe that, and um, you know, I think there's a lot of a lot of anti-intellectualization, um, mm. anti-intellectualism um, um, within within frontline hypnotherapy. I think there is, um, um, you know, the vast majority of frontline hypnotherapists don't know about the vast majority of evidence base, and there is a huge chasm that exists between academia research researchers um in the field of hypnosis and frontline hypnotherapists which um w which i find really sad and which i make you know a, a, a real effort to attempt to bridge that chasm you know it's part of my raison d'etre as a hypnotherapy teacher and trainer um, um so you, you know I, i'm there with you on that one um, um and and but you know i i think um, um he would enjoy some of the the you know the, the experimental literature and some of the the, the body of evidence um, from um, people like Stephen J. Lynn and Irving Kirsch and yeah. and so on over the years, um, I think he would love perhaps as well to 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 have a look at the emergence and some of the relevance of the field of neuroscience and and cognitive neuroscience in particular and the relevance that hypnosis has within that and um, some of the sort of clinical applications and studies um, that, that simply, you know, would not have been available or, or even understandable in his no, day um, due to the emergence of technology and so on. Mm, yeah, exactly. And, and his inherent sort of niceness and politeness with, with people who had opposing views. Yeah. And getting into sort of, oh, no, you're right, you're wrong, all of that sort of thing. Yeah. We, we miss that a bit, I think, sometimes, to have that, that absolute critical thinking. Yeah. Let's let's look at both sides. There doesn't necessarily need to be a right or a wrong. No. Let's let's see what there is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, I, I, I love the fact. Um, I love the fact that that you and I are having this conversation. I love the fact that Clark Hull is getting um, is, is getting some 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 airtime as far as we're concerned. I love the fact oh. that you know that we've been able to discuss. Um, um, his background, you know, his research, his, the contribution that he's made, some of the key important elements of his work, um, and the fact that, you know, he, he influences you, he influences myself, and that, you know, his legacy is living on. It, it really is, and I don't see where, why it would die, really. If people, if people read about him and, and, and saw exactly what you can do, and as you say, we, we talked about one sentence in that book. Yeah. <laughs> there are yeah. so many more that you yeah. can pick out. There really are. Yeah, great bloke. I would love to have met him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, for me as well. Um, he he commissioned the first ever, um, or well, well, sort of permitted rather than commissioned, um, the first ever uh, journal, you know, um, um, journal entry, um, um, of. Of, of, that was that was about self hypnosis um, or auto hypnosis by you know a paper by Andrew Salter on three three types of um, auto hypnosis. Andrew Salter was also a behaviorist and um, I'm a big proponent of assertiveness training and things like that. But um, I'm also pretty much the first ever and really seminal paper on self hypnosis um, um, got published thanks to Clark Hull and his position uh, that was held at the time. And and him really believing in the work of Andrew Salter. So um, um, even though it's nothing to do with his work, uh, you know, I, I'm a real fan of his because of his his belief in in this field and and helping it develop so much. Great, Absolutely. yeah, great. Good old Clark Hull. 
great bloke, Clark. <laughs> um, um, oh. Superhero with a cool name. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, Lindsay, I suppose all that remains for me to say this, you know, I, I could talk Clark Hole for you for with you for ages, and um, I probably will do some more um, in coming well, weeks uh, yeah. when I see you. Um, um, but thank you very much for returning, coming back onto Hypnosis Weekly and talking all things um, Clark Hole, your hero of hypnosis. My pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Ah, I loved that. Some fascinating stuff uh, discussed in there. Um, could have gone on and on. A good hypnosis geek out. Uh, about a quality hypnosis hero there. Uh, there's a link to Lindsay's website, along with a full reference for the title of Clark L. Hull's book, over at this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. Um, and that is it for this week's 82nd edition. As you know, that is it. You regular listeners, rather, will know that that's it for these uh, uh, special editions. Um, I do have some um, a really exciting guests that I'll be welcoming to the Hypnosis Weekly uh, podcast. In coming editions, we'll be discussing, debating, celebrating... And above all remaining friends. Uh, next time out, I will be welcoming hypnotherapist and a real darling of breakfast TV shows at the moment, Dipti Tate. Uh, I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions, so do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website and I'll make sure they are addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else and really help us reach the hypnosis field. Thanks again to Lindsay Shepherd. My thanks to Clark L. Hull for his contribution to this field and for being this week's hero of hypnosis. And of course, my thanks to you for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now. Hypnosis.